0: So we will be in Matthew. Uh, We're taking a little bit of an aside today. Being with all of these children out in the wilderness, uh, you know, uh, we've brought up several times that when God wants to get in touch with somebody, he often sends them out into the wilderness, out into the desert, out into the woods out onto the ocean, he just needs to get them away from the bustle and hustle of everyday life and get them to the place where they can just talk together without all of the instrumentalities. Uh, But one of the main things that Jesus ever talked about was the kingdom of God. Now we've been going through Hebrews, and to go through Hebrews, and to go through all of those articles of faith and all those people of faith, we've been in Genesis talking about the stories that are referred there to lightly. One of the things you do when you're reading through the Bible, and it says, by the way, like Noah, you have to go back and you have to know the story of Noah to know what he's talking about. Well, in this, from the very beginning of the Bible, we have the promises of the coming of the kingdom of God. And the first thing that Jesus ever said in public ministry is the kingdom of God is coming. It's right here. It's right next to you. You could almost reach out and touch it. It's here. And it's an interesting thing. The the theme this year at the camp was the parables of the kingdom, but the point of it all was to understanding the kingdom of God. When you go through, there's been a lot of confusion over the last 100 years. People have tried to break up the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Jews, the kingdom of the church, the kingdom of this, the kingdom of that. It's very confusing because really there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, which we also unfortunately call the kingdom of the devil. And there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we're all born into one. Just by the consequence of being born a descendant of Adam, what we call by ordinary generation, every one of us is born into sin and born into that kingdom. But we have to be born again to come into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 13, he keeps giving what he calls the kingdom parables. And he gives this qualification. Master, you don't say anything to the crowds except for in parables. Why do you talk in parables? And he gives us this deeply disturbing, frightening answers. It's so he's seeing they won't see and hearing they won't understand. Wait a minute. You're supposed to be giving the parable so people will understand. But that's not Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer is those that long for him, those that love him, those that are spiritually attracted to him, those that want to see will see, those that want to hear will hear, but the rest of them will just hear a silly story about seeds and weeds and stuff and wonder what is going on here. Remember, parables are powerful because they're an immediate manifestation of the spirit of God in the heart of the believer or the unbeliever. We've got the parable of the sower that starts in 13. Then Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and the crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on a beach, and as he told them many things in parables, a sower went out to sow. And what he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, But the sun rose, and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Others fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, what I'm saying to you is super obvious. If you have ears, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you ain't got no ears, you can't hear nothing, right? Now, of course... With children, it's different. They don't understand sewing the way we do. But you guys all understand sewing. But is what is he talking about? He's talking about the means and the way of salvation and the growing of the kingdom of God. One of the things I asked the kids. Uh, we had a quiz night at the end, you know. And I asked the kids because I wanted to see if they had gotten the point. Uh, what? Let me ask you. What is the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth right now? Is there one? The church. The church is the visible manifestation. So uh, uh, who are the members of the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth? Members of the church. What is the outward sign of being a member of the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God on earth? Baptism. Baptism. Right? We have a visible sign. What is the meal that is for... A visible manifestation of the visible church for the visible people that have had the visible sign of the visible kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper. So there's these things. Here's the thing. It gets a little dangerous because here's the thing. You have to explain things based on where you are and what's going on in history. There are times when this would have been automatic knowledge. Everybody knew the church was the kingdom of God and they were all part of the kingdom of God and they were secure in being part of the kingdom of God because they had been baptized and because they believed. Now, as we know, just like going into McDonald's does not make you a hamburger, and going into a garage does not make you a sports car, going into the church does not make you a Christian, we maintain the distinction between the visible and the invisible. The invisible is in the heart. No one can see it but God. The external, everybody can see. So because there is an invisible reality, God gave us an external thing that we can see, Because we're weak, and we're fragile, and we don't see everything we're supposed to. So God pours out his spirit on the believer, and we pour out water on them representing it. But there's not a one-to-one identity between the two. One of the flaws in the old church that brought about the Reformation was they said, there's one-to-one identity. We pour water on you, you're a Christian, you're saved. Well, what if I don't believe any of it? Eh, still really, because they thought the water itself had an invisible substance called grace in it, and the priest had this magical superpower by which he could change ordinary water into holy water, which we know is only really good for vampires and sometimes werewolves. But the water doesn't have salvation in it. When you take the bread and you take the wine, that's not Jesus' flesh and blood. If I thought it was, I'd be first in line to eat it. But that's not the teaching of the scripture. It's the representation of his body and his blood. I believe that God does confer grace when we eat the bread and we drink the wine. But it's not in the bread. I believe that we can, God confers grace when we pray. When we sing worship songs, God does give us grace. Grace is a real thing, and God does give it. He provides instrumentalities, but they're not the grace itself. They're just because we're weak, and we're in these bodies, and we're in this world, and we need a tangible thing that we can taste and see. But does God also promise to give us the thing that it represents, if it is combined with faith in the heart of the believer? He does. He does. He does. So you are the visible manifestation of the kingdom of God. What we would like to think is that every one of you are actually the kingdom of God. So while it's hypothetically possible that one of you be a professing believer who's been baptized and is a member of the church and is not actually a believer, that seems exceedingly rare. Why would they want in here? Now here's the thing. In the old church, when the church and state were combined and all of that type of thing, and the church was powerful and the church had lots of money and the church had armies and the church could arrest people they didn't like, the church was actually very spiritually corrupt. Why? Because all of the power was there. But now that we leave all the corruption to Washington, (laughs) not that I'm implying, I'm just saying, uh, the church is actually purer. Because the power of the world isn't here. So the church tends to attract those that are spiritually attracted to Christ and not to the trappings of this world. So here he's saying that, the, uh, first of all, in the, in the analogy here that he gives, who's the sower? Jesus or God, right? So what is the seed? People. Uh, the, the ground is people. The seed is the gospel going out the message going out but it goes out to different kinds of people in different kinds of situations the the stuff along the path the gospel goes out onto the path but the birds eat it up the gospel goes out but the weeds spring up and choke it out the gospel goes out but it's on rocky soil but the church is the soil that drinks it in and raises it up It makes it sprout and produce more of itself. It's it's lightly associated with uh, the talents, right? A master was going away, and he gave gold to uh, several of his servants. And they did different things with it, right? One invested it and made more of income. Another made uh, uh, less income, but he still worked really hard. And one guy was like, I'm going to bury it in the ground because he's a mean guy, and if I don't have it when he comes back, I'm going to be in trouble. So who was the one that got in trouble? The one that gave back to Jesus exactly what Jesus had given to him and no more. If it had all been wisely invested and it was the Biden economy so it all went into the toilet, would Jesus have been mad? I would say he would not because you strived to produce. But God's the one that brings the blessing. But because he buried it in the ground, because he feared God, that God was a cruel master and not a loving father... He was the one that was actually condemned. What, even what he had was taken away from him. So the, the gospel going out, the gospel goes out to everybody, but the power of the gospel is in the spirit, and the spirit brings its produce. So here going on, the purpose of the parables, we already talked about that. So then Jesus himself explains the... Here's the thing, so many times in the Bible, we get these really weird interpretations in contemporary culture, but the Bible itself explains its own passages. Jesus is going to exegete his own story here. So isn't that the best possible way to understand it? Verse 18 of chapter 13, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and he does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown in the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know that this would raise a certain amount of anxiety in us? In real believers. He knows. He's saying some people receive it with joy. But, you know, that's just, it's carnal. It's not deep and it's not spiritual. It's an immediate reaction and we see that sometimes in people. They come into the church and they come in full of fire and vigor and flame but within a few years they seem to fade and then they go out the same door they came in. Everything associated with the kingdom is not uniquely spiritual. Some of it is a manifestation of people's flesh. Wouldn't it be a happy thing to be forgiven of all your sins? Wouldn't it be a happy thing if what God meant for you is to always be wealthy and always be healthy and always have all good things in this life? Well, you know, the gospel that some people hear, that's it. Do you want things to be great? Do you want your best life now? Do you want things to just be awesome? Well, come to Jesus, because Jesus gives awesome. Then they come in and they find out, well, that's not exactly true. In the early church, there was a pretty short amount of time between coming to Christ and people publicly knowing it and going into slavery or going into prison or dying. And they did all of those with joy. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who receives. hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. He put forth another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain... Then the weeds also appeared. And the servant said to the master of the house and came and said to him, Master, do you do not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Do you want us to go out and gather them then? In other words, let's go pull all those weeds. But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, who is the one who owns the field? That's Jesus. That's God, right? And who are his servants? In many ways, you are, or the angels, or even the church. And there's many ways you can go with that. And they all have meaning. But... Who are his good wheat in the field? Well, that is the kingdom of God. And so he's trying to help you to understand why the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, they grow up together at the same time. Why did you leave us here with all these troubles? Why can't everything be perfect? Well, everything is mixed in here together for a time, but at the end, God's going to separate these things, and you will be loved by your Father forever and ever it comes up in scripture maybe nine or ten different times in different ways this time in a parable but he's teaching you something about you why do you have the struggles why do you have the pain why do you have the mixture in this life why do you look outside and see all of the troubles going on in the world well god is patient with you allowing you to go through ordeal for a time for a much greater benefit when it's all done and then the mustard seed and the leaven Uh, how many of you ever been to san francisco A lot of you have taken the trip, right? How many of you went to the big uh, 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 sourdough bread factory they have there, right? They've been making sourdough bread, people say it's the best in the world, for like 127 years from one lump of uh, dough. How can you do that for 127 years? Because they make the dough and as soon as it's ready and they're ready to put it in the oven, they pull off a little piece, and they put it in the unleavened dough. They mix it in there. They leave it for two days. And it yeasts up. The yeast goes all through the entire lump of dough. So then they take it, and they get it ready to bake, and they pull off a little piece of it. Stick it back in the dough. And they've been doing this for 127 years. And so Jesus tells us this about the kingdom. The kingdom is like a little leaven put in the lump. It goes through the whole thing. Remember, leaven is not always bad in the Bible. It's only bad in the Bible sometimes. Here, hear the analogy is you are the leaven of the world. He's telling you right after the parable of the weeds for a specific purpose. Where something is in the Bible is important. You're worried about the world and the fact that there are weeds and there are wheat and he's saying you are the leaven that goes through this whole lump. If anything's going to make it better, you are going to make it better. Then also he says with the mustard seed, it's the smallest seed in the garden but it becomes the biggest plant in the garden. This is like the kingdom of heaven but he gets deeply into this and we'll stop on these two treasure in a field pearl of great price treasure in a field a man's out wandering comes upon a treasure in a field he finds it he goes and he sells everything that he has just to buy the field because if you buy the field you own the treasure right now this was not a man that would you know do something terrible and just steal the treasure out of the field it's not his treasure right I always wonder, well, you could have told the guy there was a treasure in his field, but that's 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 not helpful to the analogy, right? Okay, so in this one, it's a little bit different. It's still a parable of the kingdom, but the kingdom is the treasure in the field. Who's the guy who finds the treasure and will sell everything he has to get that treasure? Who's that? That's you. Are you that person? He's turning it around now, and he's saying, are you that person that desires Christ And the life to come more than anything else. So much that you would sell everything you have to get that treasure. Because the kind of people he's inviting into his kingdom, it's those people. Some people don't care about such things. There's a man. He was a merchant. He does pearls, right? He knows pearls. He's seen a thousand pearls. But one day he sees the greatest pearl he's ever seen. It's a perfect pearl. And because he is a pearl master, he sees it and recognizes its beauty, and he says, "I will sell everything it has I have just to have this one, this perfect thing that I have found after a lifetime of looking." You, the Christian can identify themselves by this. They understand that Christ, the kingdom of God, is that pearl. They've been looking for him all their life. They recognize him when they see him, and it's like a beeline. To Christ. There are so many other things you could have in this life, and they all wash away from you. They all come and go. Everything is transitory. Everything is temporary. Nothing ultimately fulfills the heart. Do you know what is the most beautiful thing that can happen? Is that somebody was born into the church, and all their life, they've known Jesus Christ. And they never get to tell their testimony because it's boring. They never got in trouble. They never went to jail. They never, got, they never did any of the fun stuff like get addicted to drugs or anything like that. But in the kingdom of heaven, that's the most beautiful story you can have. Don't ever think to yourself, my story's not good because, you know, I was never evil. That's not the story of the Bible, okay? That is the best possible story. You never knew a time when you didn't know the Lord and you still know him now. But there is this other thing that's very beautiful. When somebody has lived hard and they've suffered and they've gone through a lot and they come to Jesus Christ and the overwhelming joy that they have in knowing Christ just crushes and destroys everything in their past and their zeal, their passion for Christ puts a lot of us that have lived our whole life in the church to shame, doesn't it? So the analogy lines up with somebody that found something they've been looking for. But it also identifies who are in the kingdom of God. If this pearl of great price is of little value to you, if it's something among the other trinkets of the world that you would lay around, you'd put it in your, in your uh, jewel chest and just lock it away. But it's not really any different from any other pearl. This isn't about you. But if Christ for you is everything, and if you would give up everything in the world to have him and be with him, that you'd give up the charms of the world, and you'd give up the riches, and you'd give up the wealth, and you'd give up family, and you'd give up country, and you'd give up life itself, then you know that you know that you are Christ's, and he is yours. Lord God, we thank you for your kingdom and that we find ourselves members of it. Christ, you are our king, and not only our king, but the king of the universe, the king of the cosmos. As we look across the universe, Lord God, it's almost mind-boggling how big it is and how wonderful and how marvelous, and you have made it all for us. All of the beauties, everything from the smell of a flower to the taste of food to the drink that goes into us has all been designed for us and we for it so that we might have even pleasures in this life. But all of these things are analogies of the spiritual knowledge of you. And so we praise you for this grace that you've given us, for these gifts that you've given us. And we pray, Lord God, as we lift up our hearts and voices to you, that you would be honored by our praise. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 330 in your hymnal.
1: dream. No, <laughs>
0: God there won't be a Wednesday meeting this Wednesday for all the kids and youth groups but next Wednesday after that everything starts up for the whole season including uh, scouts and American Heritage girls and uh, all of those things there will be another camp I think it's in November girls yeah there will be another two day camp in November for if any of the kids will want to go to that anything else for today Billy. The speech. speech. What speech is it, Sonny? Okay, we'll get to that next week. Sure. Uh, So let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we pray that you would bless all here, Lord God, but also all of those that are on our hearts. We pray, Lord God, that you would reach out to sons and daughters, to grandsons and granddaughters, to parents and grandparents, We pray that you would bless your people, Lord God. We know that you bless the children to a thousand generations of those that love you. And so we pray, Lord God, for them, for their salvation, and for their well-being. People of God, look up and receive. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.